we don't have a lot of space and time in our world where things get quiet and we don't have any pressures on us and this is a this is a moment when we can do that if you're joining us online or you're in the room and, and you feel something and you're not quite sure you recognize that it feels like oh that's it there's like a tug on the heart uh, we call that the holy spirit we believe that God's Spirit's present to us when we get in a room like this and we sing. Lord, we walk in the door with everything we came in the door with. For some of us, that's a lot. We're carrying a lot of things around. We're carrying a lot of things through life, a lot of emotion and a lot of thought, a lot of anxiety. We go to bed with it. We wake up with it. And so we want to bring that to you right now. You said, Jesus, that wherever two or three of us gather, that you're there with us, and so... We count on that. So we're counting on you to speak to us this morning, Lord. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer and all God's people said. Amen. I want to invite you to remain standing with me. We're starting a new series today. I'm so glad you're here. And we're starting a new series today on the letter of 1 John in the New Testament. We're going to talk about that this morning. Uh, but we stand together and read out loud the scripture for the morning together out of reverence for God's word. So it'll be on the screen and then you can follow along as well. Here's, here's what John said. That which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. John's talking there about Jesus. The life, Jesus, appeared, we have seen it and testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Here he's still talking about Jesus. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. Our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And would you, this, we're going to talk about this this, this morning, um, verse 4, would you read that out loud with me? Uh, we write this to make our joy complete. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you so much for standing. Well, we're starting a new series today. Uh, it's called Heart to Heart. I don't know if you know this about your own uh, body, but what you are that you can see, you are at the, at the cellular level. Now, I'm not a doctor, obviously. Uh, but I, I do know that, uh, you know, if you were to take your heart and you were to dissect it all the way down to the cell level, it, it does at the cell level what the heart does in and of itself. It, it beats. Um, in fact, there was a, uh, an ex a, a moment when some people had heart cells in a dish, and this heart cell is beating here, and there was two heart cells in the dish, and this heart cell was beating here. And, and they came, to, they, they moved together, and then they came together. And they were kind of erratic for a second, and then th there was a pause. And then the hearts started beating 
together at the cellular level, your heart is longing to beat in rhythm with somebody else. Uh, that's what we're going to talk about in this series is uh, the longing that you and I feel for connection. My, my word for what we've been through over the last couple of years, I, I, uh, when someone talks about you know, just the difficulties, is, is I say, you know, I think we've kind of turtled up. You know, um, a turtle, you know how when it gets scared or whatever, it is avoiding, it, it, what does it do? It goes inside its shell you know, as a protective measure. And I, I, I kind of feel that we've done that across our culture. I mean, does it doesn't really matter, you know, what you're, where you're coming from. I, I feel like we've kind of done that. We've, we've turtled up. And, and we're not quite sure how to make those heart kind of connections again. We're, 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 not, we're not quite sure what to do. And so in this series, we're going to talk about how we might go about doing that, and we're going to use this letter that John, uh, most uh, scholars say, the disciple of Jesus, wrote, and we're going we're to kind of, uh, in, a, in, the, in the way that a, a doctor or, or would, we we're going to kind of cut open the heart and diagnose love and, um, each week, and there's going to be a component that you and I need to connect with each other. Now, I've got a, I've got a, 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 a homework assignment for you, okay? If you want to be a part of this series. Um, I want to invite you every morning, I don't know if you have a practice like this, um, every morning to read uh, the chapter that we're going to talk about here on Sunday. So today we're going to talk all the way through chapter one. I want you to have a Bible open or version app or whatever you've got. We're going to go through verse by verse, but I would even love it if you had a paper Bible. Do you know they make Bibles made out of, with paper in them? I don't know if you're aware, uh, but they do. Um, get a paper Bible, I think it's great, and then every morning, um, each week, we'll, we'll talk about that chapter, and then during the week, just read over that chapter every morning, and just write down or circle, you might have a question, you might have a comment, something might leap off the page at you, um, and I, I want to invite you to do that all the way through the, the course of this series. And we're going to learn how to connect together. Um, I've, there's an, an age of my kids, I love my kids, and they're, they're teenagers now, uh, but there's an age that they were at that I, I just, I miss. Um, I miss when my kids were little. I miss when they were about ages uh, three to six, uh, there's something almost kind of magical about your kids when they're that age. Uh, there's this wonder, and there's just no pretense to kids when they're that age. I mean, if you're a parent, do not, and you've got kids that age, do not miss those moments. I mean, that's, that's something you just never, ever get back. Uh, but what, one of the things I love the most about my kids at that age, it's not that it's not true of them now, but it's in a different way, and, and any parent or grandparent knows what I mean by this, but there's, there's just this complete joy that they have about their own existence and about life. You know what I mean? Like everything's new, uh, everything's fresh, and there's this sense of complete joy that they have. And there's an irony, isn't there? There's an irony to childhood and to parenthood. The irony is when you're a child, you have it and you don't know it. You, you don't know that you have great wonder and joy at life. You're not even aware of it. You're just like, that's what I do. And then the irony is that you become an adult and you want that again, and then you don't know how to get it. Do, do, you, do you resonate with that? I do. 
So when my kids were little, I used to do this little thing. I'm sure some of you have done this. And I would put them, you know, on both knees. And I would do the ride the pony into town, ride the ho- pony all around. Or, you be careful, it'll fall down. And I would bounce my knees. And they thought it was the greatest thing ever. And I would bounce them all over the place. And then, then I would like, do this and they would drop between my knees. And they would, and they would always come back and gig, full of giggles. And then there, some of them were going to say to me at lunch today, can you do that horsey thing, Dad? Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and they, they would come back with giggles, and they would do it again and again and again. They would always say, do it again. <laughs> do it again, Dad. Uh, I always want to introduce you to the good stuff. One of my favorite all-time quotes is from a guy by the name of G.K. Chesterton. He's writing about this and about joy and about the joy that comes from knowing God. This is what he says. He says, the, the child comes to the father and says to them, do it again. And the adult does it again and again until they are nearly dead. <laughs> And he says, he goes on, he says, but maybe, maybe that's what God is like, that God uh, is able to say to the sun every morning, do it again, and to the moon at night, do it again. And it's, it's not that God gets bored. We, we get bored, and we don't know how to exult in monotony, G.K. Chesterton says. But maybe God is able to exult in monotony, and when he sees a daisy out of delight, he says to it over and over and over again, do it again, for we have, this ends is this beautiful quote, for we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we. Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> do it again, do it again. The joy. Uh, so wh- I, we're going to talk about that this morning. What, what are, for you, the barriers that you have to joy, and then do you have a path that would a- enable you to find joy? Now, John here in this first chapter, which we're going to look at together, um, offers us three things. They both serve as a barrier to joy. If you don't understand what he's saying, um, don't live into it. And it's also a path to joy at the same time. And these these are the three things. If you're taking notes, there'll be blanks and they'll be on the screen as well. But it's, it's how you see God, how you treat your body, and the courage that you have to be honest. So here's what we're going to do. I want you to have, if you have your Bible, um, open it. We're just going to go through kind of verse by verse uh, and see what John has to say about us, about all of this. So how you see God, how you see God. Now, I I don't know how you see God. I don't know what you think about God. I don't know if you think about God. Uh, Maybe you're here and you're like, this is the first time I've thought about God in uh, quite a while. Um, and, And I'm not asking you what you think you are supposed to think about God. I'm asking what it is that you actually think about God. Uh, a number of years ago, actually several decades ago now, a guy by the name of G. Uh, um, um, my brain's just escaped me. His last name's Phillips, I promise. Um, he, he wrote a book, and it's called Your God is Too Small. It's, this real, it's one of my favorite books. I can't remember his first name, but um, one of my little small book. He said, Your God is Too Small. And he gives about, in the first part of the book, he, about 10 different ways we think about God that reduce God down to a size that we can get our minds and arms around. And he has these kind of chapters like we think about God, like he's a resident policeman and he's just waiting to blow the whistle. Or we think about God like he's a doting grandfather who just approves of everything we ever do and he's never never full of any anger and he's always like, here's more candy. Uh, we think about God like he's this, uh, like, you know, we think of Jesus I and mean, Jesus is this meek and mild person and so we have to be this meek and mild person or, or we think about God like he's absolute perfection and you better not screw up. And he's like this, if you think about God in all of these different kinds of ways, you actually 
actually have a God that's actually too small. Your God is too small, he says. And so John is trying to help us think about God in the right way and understand what God's like. And in verse 5, he says that this is the message we've heard from him and declare to you that God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. So, So John is saying there's a barrier that you find to joy, and it's in how you think about about God. Now, I don't, I don't know um, if we believe John, because John says that there's no darkness in God, none at all. I, I think uh, that most people, I, I, I mean, I, I can't, I gave up being able to read minds, I don't have that ability, but I, I, it seems to me that most people think about God more like a, a Greek or a Roman God, or, or, or uh, like in the ancient Roman Empire, the Caesar was thought of as divine. And, and you know, if you remember mythology, do you, do you remember this in like middle school, high school, you would study mythology and the, the pantheon of the Greek and Roman gods and Zeus and Jupiter and all of that. And, and the, the gods in all the stories, they're, um, they're impulsive and they're jealous and they're petty and they're fickle and they demand praise from human beings. Um, and, and, but, but they do it out of power, not out of love. And, and they use human beings for their own glory. Maybe you know the famous story of Hercules and Zeus and what he does to, has a son, um, and, and Hercules, and he ends up, the, the, uh, his mother, Hera, the goddess, she, she's jealous and so kills Hercules' wife and children. Like, we think the gods are like, God is like that. Not like the God uh, of Jesus. And so the result is that if you think God is like that, um, that you think that God is someone you have to appease and please. <laughs> and you never know if you're going to do it right. So I, I guess what I'm asking you here is what John is saying. It's like, do, do you, he says that God has no darkness, none at all, and this is a barrier to joy. Do you think that God has a dark side? Here's, here's what I mean. And maybe a better question is, do you, do you live that way? So I, I wonder, if, like if you say, well, well I'm, I, you know, I'm a Christian and you know, I, I serve God, and, and I just wonder what kind of God it is that you are serving. Let me, let me ask you this. I, do you think the moment is going to come when God's maybe asked you to do something that down the road somewhere that what God is going to do is he's going to pull the rug out from underneath you and just kind of leave you stranded? Like, hey, I hope you, hey, I'm going to give you cancer, but it's to build your character. Do you, I, we, we have this way of talking about this. We're trying to get our heads around it, right? You know, and things will happen to us in our life and we don't quite understand why they happen to us in our life. Generally bad things. And then, and we have these kind of phrases we use to get ourselves by. They don't come from scripture. They just kind of come from like, I think this makes sense. And one of the phrases that we say uh, collectively as a society, Christian, non-Christian alike, we say, well, sometimes, you know, everything happens for a reason. Ever said that? It's our attempt to make sense of some darkness that's come into our life, and we're trying to say, well, why, why did this happen? I mean, surely there has to be a reason for it. Now, if you're wrestling with that, what, what, we, what we often think is we're like, well, surely, I mean, God's not behind that pain, right? He didn't send it to me as some sort of punishment, or, you know, the world, is the, the universe is trying to punish me, God is trying to punish me. 
And, and John is trying to say, no, 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 no. If that's what you think about God and you, you think that God, you know, he's just going to pull the rug out from underneath you or he's inflicting you with things. He says, no, 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 no. There is no darkness in God. There is none at all. It's, God's not like that in the least. This is what he says. In fact, there's no joy that way. If you think God's like that, I promise you, you're just going to, you're going to chase God, trying to appease God and trying to please God, and it's never going to end. And there's not any joy that direction. So what John says, though, about God and the character of God is so fascinating. Do you see it there in verse 5? This is the message. He's trying to tell you, like, this is it. Here's the message. You want to know what God's like? We have heard from him, that's Jesus, and declare to you, God is light. God is light. So there's not this grand theological statement. There is not here uh, uh, some theory of the atonement of what it meant that Jesus died for your sins on the cross. There's none of that. There's just this image and this declaration that God is light. And then that next phrase where he says, and there's no darkness in him, none at all. He's underscoring the fact. In case you thought there's light and shadow, no, there's not even shadow in God. There's there's none of that. And he's even telling you, he's, he's trying to say, listen, I'm telling you from my personal experience with Jesus that God is nothing but light and there is absolutely no shadow and no darkness in him at all. So if you were to compare the, the beginning of 1 John, this letter that he writes, with the gospel, the biography of the life of Jesus that John wrote, you would find a lot of similarities. I'm going to put some of them on the screen because, again, John's just telling us his experience. This is how he opens his gospel. It's very similar to the first John. Um, in the beginning was the Word, Jesus, and the Word, Jesus, was with God, and Jesus, the Word, was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made, and, and without him nothing was made that has been made. And this is, now he's, again, he's watched Jesus walk around. He's watched Jesus heal little children. He's writing now after he's seen Jesus suffer on a cross for the sins of the world. He saw Jesus resurrected body and then i want you to see what he says listen to this is verse four in him was life and that life was the what's the word there the light of all mankind and he, he repeats the, the phrase in, in verse five he says the light shines in the darkness jesus shines in the darkness and the darkness is not overcome it and then a little bit later verse nine he says and the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world and then then this is fascinating in verse 14 he says that word jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us and we have seen his glory in, in other words he's saying listen i'm telling you what i saw and honestly, my words fail me at what I saw. And the only word I can use to describe the life of Jesus and the light that Jesus had was glorious. I, I, there's no other word for it. There, in other words, I, I never saw darkness in Jesus. I never questioned his character. There was no subterfuge. There was no shadow. I was never waiting for the other shoe to drop. Because he was just light. And it was glorious. And John is like, well, why am I telling you this? He's, he's saying this. He says, so I want you to experience God the way that I have experienced God. And when you experience God the way I've experienced God, then you and I together, we have fellowship. We can connect with each other at a completely different level. And the result, he says in verse 4, verse four is that we have complete joy. Now, I, 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 just, I started thinking about this, you know, like, what is it that I like? 
about light? Well, I, I appreciate that I can see. I mean, that seems kind of obvious, right? You came here today. Oh, light helps you see. I didn't know, Scott. Thank you. Um, I, I, but, I, but more than that, I appreciate that I can enjoy what I see and not be hurt by it. Um, for a number of years, uh, we had, um, this was given to us at our wedding uh, by my daddy, and there was a, a bed frame, and it had on the end, some of you are going to know exactly what I'm talking about, the, the, the little brackets where you're supposed to mount a, a footboard. Do you know what I'm talking about? Some of you know where I'm going with this. And, and it, it sticks out a bit. And it would happen pretty routinely that in the night, in the dark, I would get up and I would not be able to see where, that's why I like light, because I can see and I can enjoy what I see, is I would get up and I would hit that bracket. You know the pain I'm talking, like there's, I maybe, have you, have you ever hit your little toe on that bracket? Oh, come on. It's like, oh, the devil's real. He's ruling and raining right now. Right? You, you, you get that, right? Uh, maybe you've been camping and you've gone camping and you've arrived at your campsite at night and you've set up at night and, and there's, I mean, maybe you're not like me, but I, you know, I would go to a setting like that and set up the camp at night and there'd be this little bit of fear because I don't know what's, be, maybe we'd, we'd start a fire or have flashlights, but you can't see. And so there was this element of fear that would settle over on me. And, and light helps me enjoy life and not fear life. And John says, God is light. Now, I need to do, um, I need to do this kind of little parentheses here. And I want you to go with me on this parentheses because I'm going to take you to a different place in Scripture, and I don't want to lose you here, and I think you'll see the connection in a minute, I hope, that applies here. So, parentheses, okay? Pause. So, in, this, in the Psalms, I, I read the Psalms um, every morning, and I read all the way through the Psalms. I read basically one Psalm a day. I use it for a form of prayer and, and to connect with God's presence in the mornings, and then I read all the way through. I just, I'm about to the end of the Psalms, and I'll be starting again in Psalm 1 again here in just a, a few days. And, and uh, the Psalms are, are full of this word about what we're supposed to do toward God, and the word is uh, praise, Praise God. Praise. In fact, Psalm 150, just read it the other day, uh, just goes through this whole list of everything that is supposed to praise God. Let the, let the stringed instruments praise the Lord. Let, let the lyre, the, the, I guess that's the harp, let the trumpet praise the Lord. Let your kid's violin praise the Lord. Let, let, let the recorder that plays hot cross buns praise the Lord, right? That's not, that's not there in, this, in the psalm. But, but then it ends with this, this refrain. It says, let everything, this is kind of the summary of the psalm, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And, and the, the tense of the verb there is a command that you and I are commanded to praise God. Now, I, it, it's, so it's a command that you and I are to praise God. But I've, I've got to be honest with you, that creates for me a question mark about God. And here's, here's why. If I have to command you to do something, are you really doing it? Like if I said to you, you know, I, you're not going to tell me that this is the best sermon you've ever heard. Come on, tell me. Or tell me that, you, that, I, that I have a full hairline and it's not disappeared. Tell me. Make it happen. Say it, Right? If I have to tell you to do something, are you really doing it? Because, listen, isn't, 
isn't, if someone tells you to do something and makes you do it, isn't that someone dark that makes you, I mean, like, you think of like a Mexican drug lord, right, of the, of, the, of the drug cartel, and the drug cartel makes you do something, like, tell me you love me. I love you. I want to keep my life. You know? Isn't that what people who are on the dark side of things do? So why then would God, now stay with me here. I'm, this is the parentheses. I'm going to show you the connection here in a second. Why would God command this? Well, you and I have to see a link. There's a, 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 an, an inextricable link. There's a, 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 an unbreakable link between praise and joy. What do I mean? Well, you praise something that you enjoy. Maybe a better way to say that is praise is what always comes out of enjoyment. Uh, I, I try to do this. I'm, I, I promise I'm not as great as I used to be, but I, I remember when my wife and I were first dating, and you, any couple that you see that's dating and they're in love, and if you've ever sat near them in a restaurant or just watched them in a movie theater, um, you know, it's kind of gross in a, in a way because you, you, you look at them and, and they're like, and they don't, they don't stop. If you've ever overheard a conversation, you, they don't stop saying how much they delight in each other, right? It's, they're, they're, they're praising each other constantly. They don't do it out of obligation, right? They enjoy each other, and out of that enjoyment, the natural thing that comes out of that is that they praise. I, I don't know um, if uh, any of you have had Paula Martin's French silk pie. I know Dwayne Murray's part of our current makes a French silk pie, too. I'm, I promise you, uh, Paula will bring that, at, like, she, she'll ask me on my birthday, like, what kind of pie do you want? Well, Paula, duh, uh, French silk. It's like God's pie. And, and, and I bring, I, I, it's every time I, I put in my fork into that piece of French silk pie, and then I, I bring that to my mouth. I mean, it's like I can't stop the praise from just falling off of my lips, right? <laughs> Why? <laughs> No one had to command me to do that. It's out of my enjoyment. In every large city, uh, this happens a couple times a year, the sun will line up with the, the grids of the streets. It happens in Chicago. It happens in New York. And then they call it uh, the hinge. So it would be um, New York hinge or Chicago hinge. Here's a picture of we have of, of Chicago hinge. And, and, and photographers, got a picture of the photographers there who lined up to take this picture. Um, they, they show up. It's just like moths to a flame, moths to the light. They come to the light, and they're there. I don't know what their belief system is. I don't know how they think about God, but they certainly see the glory and beauty of this sunset in a unique way, and they rearrange their schedule, and their photograph is a form of praise to that sunset. You've seen this happen, right? Have you been on vacation? We were on vacation last summer at the beach, and it was just about dusk, and the sun was setting, and we'd gotten there a little bit early. And as the sun was setting, I didn't, didn't quite expect it, um, all these people started coming in to the beach, and they all, we all just stood there. I don't know what anybody's theology was. I don't know if they were believers in Jesus. I don't know if they stood that God created the world out of delight and joy. I have no idea what they believed, but they were there because of the light, because they enjoyed what was happening. They found joy in the light, and they prayed. I heard the words. 
wow, it's so beautiful tonight. It's so gorgeous. Oh my gosh, those colors. What are they doing? They're, they're praising. The, they're, they didn't have to be commanded to do that. It was out of complete joy. This is how C.S. Lewis says that. I love it. He says, in commanding us to glorify him, God is inviting us to enjoy him. Well, when you see the light, you enjoy it. <laughs> and what comes out of you is praise. And well, when, when I can't see the light, you know, when I don't, when I see the darkness of my circumstances and I can't praise, why? It's because my circumstances obscure the light to such a degree that I'm in the dark about reality, about myself and the world and God. And the praise drops off my lips because I have no joy but here's what john's saying i'm writing to you so that you will have joy so you can see a bigger picture so the light will break through the light of who god is revealed in jesus and so that your joy would be complete and you would live that way god is light god is the source of joy now i'm going to spend the last just few minutes here that was most of the sermon i promise some of you are like oh my gosh there's three points this is going to be forever um just just quickly so how you see God is a, it can be a barrier to joy because if God's dark, but there's a path. So the second thing, same, same thing, there's barriers and, and paths in this, and it's how you treat your body. Here's how John says it in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. He says, if, we, if you and I claim or if we say that we, we are without sin, he says that we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now what in the world is he what do you mean, your body? What are you talking about? Well, you've got to know a little bit about the background of why John's, first, John's writing this letter. Um, there was this idea that was traveling around the world at John's time, and it was, uh, it's known as Gnosticism. People still think this way today. But Gnostics uh, say that there's this kind of special knowledge that you need to access, and when you have special knowledge, special knowledge, then you'll understand all the mysteries of the universe. And, but what, what the Gnostics of, of John's day had done is they... they created this divide and they said you know your body is um, at best inferior and at worst bad or evil but your spirit is good and so they said when you when you finally achieve salvation it will be when you slough off this body and you live in the realm of the spirit now again this is an idea people still have today you know i guess that well that's how it works and, and because they see the body as either inferior or evil, then people would go two directions with their bodies in John's day. They would, they would on the one hand, they would either uh, subjugate or enslave their body or discipline their body, or because they would say, well, I don't want that evil to infect me. I want my spirit to be free. Or they would say about their body, you know, it doesn't really matter what I do with my body. It doesn't matter what I put in it. It doesn't matter I, who I do anything with. It doesn't matter where I go. It doesn't matter how I treat it. And, and it, it just doesn't matter. And, and it doesn't matter what I do and with who or with how. And, and so either way, they would say, well, either way, if, if, I, if I treat my body as this thing to avoid and I discipline my body and I, I, I treat my body harshly, well, I, I mean, that doesn't really, I mean, I'm doing that, but it, whatever choices I make, I mean, they're not sin, because it doesn't matter. The body doesn't matter. Or if I say, you know, I, I do whatever I want with my body, I, I, I have no spirit, I have no sin in me. My spirit is the thing that's free. Now, do, I, I want you to see that John is making a statement here about what you do with your body, because here's what John understands. 
John's saying, listen, you have a body, and it was made by God, and what you do with it affects you. So if you claim to be without sin, I mean, that's self-deception of the highest order, right? Like, doesn't matter. No, 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 you're, you're, you don't even understand what you've got going on here. Because here's what Christians, here's what we believe about your body. We believe that God created your body and that God created your body good. In fact, when God made Adam and Eve and he gave them a body, he said the word, the Hebrew word is tov, which means good. He said it is good. <laughs> it is good. Your body is good. We know that because Jesus came in a body. Jesus died on the cross for your sins and mine in a body. And when he was resurrected, he, didn't, he wasn't resurrected as a spirit. He was resurrected on Easter Sunday with a new body. Now, if you, you, you go, well, wait a second, wait a second. What are you saying? Go read what the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Go read what Revelation says at the end of the book of Revelation about how we will have a new body like Jesus' body. So why then is sin so awful? Well, sin is so awful because it harms your soul, absolutely, and you'll be away from God. Um, but at the same time, it also harms your body. There's all this talk today about trauma and people going through trauma. You know where trauma comes from? Things that happen to your body. Things that people do to your body. If you stood over the casket of someone that you love and you've wept, the reason you weep is because their body is no longer responsive to you. That's why you weep. And many people are actually more Gnostic than Christian in how they see their body. So here's, now, let, me, let me make this really, really practical, okay? Because we still do this with our bodies today. Um, we, we either um, do things like beat our body or hate our body. So um, I, I don't, in my lifetime, I've never seen this dissipate, but the number of people who have eating issues and have food issues and have body image issues, I, I, if that's you, I, I mean, I, I, please I don't hear this as condemnation. I'm just saying you're, you're, you're expressing in your body, you're realizing in your body the effects of sin. And, and, and that path, John is trying to say to us, in that path, it's, there's no joy there. You know that. The other side of it is that many people now, I mean, we just use our body in any way you want, and we say, hey, no one ought to have any strictures on how you use your body as long as you don't hurt somebody else. And so, and so we are, we are uh, um, just a wash in addiction, and we, uh, we have people who have created bonds with other people um, um, through what we've done with them, with our bodies, and, and we've harmed other people's bodies. And, and, and the, the, the Apostle Paul has this phrase that he describes. He says, when you've given your body over to whatever you desire, and you live according to every desire that you have in your body, and you think, it doesn't matter what I do with my body. He says that what happens is you become in your body a slave to sin. I think that's so accurate. I mean, if you've ever had an addiction, you are enslaved. Like, it is chains on you. And you know, right? You know without being told. This is not even a religious message here at this point. You just know there is no joy in that. And John is trying to underline that. Like, yep, no joy. Don't deceive yourself into thinking that there's joy. But there's a path out of joy because you recognize that your body is good and that Jesus came in a body to redeem your body and to save you from the sins that were done in your body so that you could lovingly care for your body and other people's bodies. In fact, the Apostle Paul says, he says, now there was a moment when we used to go to the temple and we thought that the presence of God was in the temple. He said, no, but did, you don't understand. 
You are now the temple, and you carry God with you in your body. God, God lives in your body. There's, a, there's joy in that. And then this is the last one, and we're going to be done. This is The third thing is your courage to be honest. Your courage to be honest. This is what he says in verses 9 and 10. Um, he talks about confessing our sins. We'll come back to that in a second. And he, he says this thing about sin again. He says, if we claim we haven't sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has, his, and his word is not in us. And in other words, if we claim we haven't sinned, and we say, you know, there's nothing wrong with me, and, and people who try to say that, what they're doing is they're trying to give this religious myth that is to control people. Like John would say, well, well you're, you're self-deceived about what's actually going on here. At the same time, um, we do this on, on, the ch- on the side of people who, have, uh, who, who want to be faithful to God and you know, we've made that the goal of our life as a follower of Jesus. And, and in our tribe of churches, the Church of the Nazarene, there was a, 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 for a while, we had this, we're trying to understand holiness because we say, hey, go, God wants you to be holy in your soul and in your body. And, and the holy, is, holy is being whole and complete and full of love and full of the love of God. And, and so we, we, but we take sin really seriously because we know that sin messes us up. And, and so we try to wrestle together collectively with how do you understand what God does with sin when he, when he forgives you for your, what, what do you do with the sin that you still wrestle with? And so for a while we taught this thing, we even called it eradication. We said, you know, God will eradicate your sin. And I, I ran into all these people who believe that. And I, I, I had people uh, from, you know, people who just struggled like I, but I still struggle and I don't want to do with it to people who are in places of, of authority and pastors who would say you know like I, I haven't sinned I was sanctified and I haven't sinned in 37 years and we're all like you liar <laughs> like we <laughs> and, and, and what John is saying is both of those paths they are self-deception they are, they are rationalizations you know what you do when you rationalize you are telling yourself rational lies <laughs> i've done it you've done it so let me give you the full picture of what john's saying here if god is dark and there are shadows in god and and my body is a mess and i don't have the ability to be honest about what i'm really struggling with if that's what's going on in here and in here you know and i'm just wrestling and wrestling how how is it then going to be easy for me to, to reach across to someone else and make a connection with them. I mean, it's going to be so challenging. And, and John's writing to us. He's saying, listen, I'm, I'm trying to tell you what God is like. He is full of light. I'm trying to tell you that God made your body good and he saves you from the sins done in your body, but you've got to admit that, that it's even there for God to help you. Like, you, you know the only thing you need to have God in your life is need. That's it. You just got to be willing to admit it. And then, and then you, you got to just be honest. It's like the start of everything is, is honesty. And then, then, then there can be this fellowship, right? And John says when, when you get to that point, then you begin to experience joy. So this is how John ends his, his first chapter there. He says, if we confess our sins, it's a famous verse. I've gone to this verse so many times. If we confess our sins... He is faithful. Notice what he says. He doesn't say, and God will condemn us for our sins and tell us how awful we've been. And yeah, finally, you woke up and you realize you're a mess. Way to go. No, no. Listen to what he says. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will what? 
forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. I have a person in my, uh, in my extended family who is going through some dias- they're, they're okay with me sharing this story. And um, they're just going through a real difficult moment in their life right now. Um, many, many years ago in their past, uh, they, they just made a wreck of everything. And um, without going into all the details, uh, they're, they're now in a position where they're, um, they're trying to figure out how to make amends for these things that were done, I mean, quite literally decades ago. And I've, I've talked with this family m- member, and, and, and what, what, they're, what they're trying to do is, is they're trying, in a sense, to crucify themselves. They're like, if I will just do enough things, if I will just do enough right things, if I will do some sort of penance, then what it will do is it will cover up like taking white out, you know, and, and over all of that stuff that happened all those decades ago, and, and I'll, I'll cover it up, and I won't have to see it anymore, and then maybe it will be gone, and I was, I was having a conversation with them about this, and they were talking, I mean, it's weighing them so heavily right now, it's really struggling, I said, you know, um, when Jesus died on the cross, what, what he did is he, he forgave what you did. And you, you, can't, you can't cover up what happened, but, but Jesus could wash it away. Do you see the difference? And that's what John's trying to say. Is, uh, to, to, to those of you who are like, yeah, that's me. I'm trying to cover up all that stuff that happened then and... I'm trying to, if I, that maybe I won't have to see it, and I'm going to pay for it, and it's going to be okay, and I'll write a check, and I'll, with my life, and, and I just want you to hear what John says. He's like, no, 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 <laughs> you don't have to do it that way. If you confess, if you, the word does just, just say the same word, like, yeah, I, if you confess with your sins, then here's God's response, who is light and has no darkness in him, none at all, no shadow. Here's what the light will do with you. The light of God will do with you. He'll be faithful to you. He'll be just, meaning on the cross, he paid the price. He absorbed the cost himself on the cross. And he will what? He will, he will forgive your sins and purify. You see, purify is a washing word, right? I remember when my kids were little, and we'd do all the things we would do, and there would be joy, and there'd be a lot of dirt, too. There's a lot of dirt when you got little kids. I, I, didn't, I didn't take them out to the garage when they were dirty and get out a, a can of white spray paint and say, stand there for a second, I'm going to cover all this up. What did I do? I put them in the bathtub, and I purified them from all of their unrighteousness, right? That's what John's saying. That's what's available to you. I want to invite you to stand with me, would you? And would you let me pray for you? 
you'd uh, just give everybody around you a moment. You close your eye and bow your head. That gives everybody else a chance to have their own moment. I, I wonder if there's uh, anybody in the room who's just like, yeah, I, uh, yeah, I've been trying to pay for some stuff. I've been trying to cover up some stuff. I've been trying to make penance for the things in the past. And man, I would love it today. If I could move toward joy. I, I don't, if that's you, would just, no one's looking at you because they're having their own moment. Can you just, I just, I want to pray for you this week. Could you just slip your hand up? Yeah. God, I thank you. Um, thank you that you uh, are the author of joy that in you that you're full of light there's no darkness in you none at all we confess God that uh, we don't understand that always we don't live always as though that were true We're, we're afraid at times that you're coming for us God would you replace that to understand that you are coming for us but what you're coming for us with is is your love and your grace. And what's required of us is to just say the same, oh yeah, I need it, to confess. So thank you, God, that you are faithful and just and you will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We receive again that cleansing love that now enables us to reach over to someone else and say, yeah, I'd like to know you too. We receive that today. We pray this in your name, all God's people said.